The people charged with keeping federal judges safe are struggling to do their jobs. On today's episode, we talk about why and about the terrifying violence judges are facing as a result. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So today we have an episode for you about something that couldn't possibly sound more boring. The upgrading of a federal agency's IT system and the vagaries of the congressional appropriations process. But as you're about to hear, the stakes of this story are literally life and death, and a failure here could, no exaggeration, halt the administration of justice in this country. The story comes from Lydia Wheeler and Gary Harkai, a reporter and editor, respectively, here at Bloomberg Law. They just published a deep dive into violent threats against federal judges, and they found that the U.S. Marshal Service, the agency charged with stopping and preventing those threats, is struggling to do this because of its outdated technology. As a result, it's not hyperbole to say that the lives of not just judges, but also their families, are in danger. And as you'll hear, there's not that much that can be done in the short term to fix this. So let's get to my conversation about this with Gary and Lydia. I started off by asking Lydia about the data on judicial threats that they collected and what it shows. Yeah, so what we've seen is kind of a steady rise of credible threats against judges in recent years. And what we did for this story is we looked at people who have been uh, federally prosecuted for threatening judges to get a look or an idea of what these threats are like, but also the type of people that are threatening judges to see if there's any similarities. And we found a lot. Um we found that most often threateners have some sort of connection to the judge themselves or to the case that they're hearing. So it's not just sort of a random person who says, I don't like you, judge. It's usually it's someone who has gone before the judge. Often, but it can be both. Um, it can be they've either had a case before them in the past or they know someone who has. There was one case where it was a man who was threatening uh, not only the judge, but anyone that was involved with a case that had been brought against his father. Um, so he felt very strongly about that these were this was the reason his dad was in prison. And so and he wanted everyone dead um, because of that and because of the long sentence that he had gotten. You know, but sometimes the person is just really upset about the case that that's being heard in general. Um, they feel strongly about the person that's before that judge. Uh, so we've reported in the past um, that Judge Tanya Chutkin um, has gotten a lot of death threats. Now she's that judge that's overseeing the criminal case in Washington uh, that accuses former President Donald Trump of conspiring to overturn the 2020 election results. Prosecutors say the 43-year-old defendant left a threatening voicemail message for Chutkin saying, quote, if Trump doesn't get elected in 2024, we are coming to kill you. A grand jury indicted. Uh, so that was one. But it's not just on, you know, the people who are Trump supporters that are threatening judges. There was Judge Matthew Kaczmarek in Texas. Uh, he's a district court judge there. He got a barrage of death threats um, before he heard uh, a case over a key abortion drug called Mifepristone. Yeah, and I mean, not to mention uh, one of the most famous judges in the country uh, was also threatened at his home, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. A supreme threat. Uh, reports of a man arrested threatening to kill Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh at his Maryland home. This is uh, you. Um, you actually interviewed one of the judges who has been threatened, uh, and not just threatened, but actually attacked. Um, you know, and it's 
had pretty significant ramifications on both him and his family. Can you talk a little bit about that, about you know the, the human angle here? I mean, this can really affect uh, judges in a profound way. Yeah, so I spoke with Judge Timothy Corrigan. He now serves as the chief judge of the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Florida. And, you know, he said that all these threats are are part of his job. um, But, you know, the impact that they have on his family and specifically his wife and his adult children has been the hardest part to deal with. He's interesting because in 2013, he was nearly assassinated at his home um, when a gunman basically took aim outside of his window in the investigation after uh, they found out that there had been a man who, um, you know, aimed for him outside of their window and that the bullet missed his head by 1.6 inches. Um, it actually sailed through most of their home. Uh, it ended up, it landed in a, in a closet in, I think, a duffel bag. And this the, the gunman was someone who had a case before the judge, right? Yeah. So the attacker in the immediate was able to sneak away from the scene. um, And he, you know, Judge Corrigan was asked by the marshals to kind of make a list of potential suspects. And, you know, Judge Corrigan told me that the only reason that this guy actually made the list is because there was a warrant out for his arrest. Uh, He had violated the terms of his supervised release and that he was actually due back before Judge Corrigan um, in his courtroom. Yeah. And I think one of the quotes from your story about this incident that really disturbed me the most was that Judge Corrigan said he didn't even re- remember this guy, that it was this this was a really unremarkable case. Yeah, he said he was one of the thousands or hundreds of people that he sentenced in his career and that he didn't really stand out. Um, like I said, the only reason he did was because there was a, a warrant um, out for his arrest. Well, let's now turn from, you know, sizing up the problem to trying to solve the problem or maybe even prevent the problem. And Gary, I want to turn to you. It sounds like you got some data on what is happening here. And, uh, you know, it sounds like things are getting worse, that there are more threats on an annual basis. And, you know, even in just the first three months of this year, there have been a lot of threats. What tell me describe this data that you got and tell me where you got it because I think that's important here. Yeah, sure. So the Marshal Service tracks threats against the judiciary as a whole, and that includes threats against U.S. attorneys and court staff. And those numbers are released every year. And what we wanted to do here was to drill down deeper into what the threats look like against specifically federal judges. So Lydia submitted a Freedom of Information Act request uh, to the U.S. Marshal Service, who's tasked with with keeping track of this information and protecting judges, just to see what threats they've faced over the last 10 years. And we found that there's been a significant increase um, from 2019 to 2022. In 2019, there were 178 threats against federal judges. In 2022, there were 311. And in just the first three months of this year, there were 280. So overall, the, the number of threats have certainly increased. There was a slight drop-off in the number of total threats last year, but statistically and kind of over the long haul, if you're looking at it from a couple of years back to now, it's it's been a big increase. But I get the sense that this data is either incomplete or very messy or both. Tell me about um, the quality of the data that you got. And this is you know, data that you got through a Freedom of Information Act request. This is not publicly available data. So this is the the stuff that they use internally. Describe the quality of the data that you receive from the marshals. Yeah, I mean, uh, the government keeps a lot of data sets, and not all of them are in the best of shape, and this one was not in the best of shape. And what that showed was that there are many lines of data that kind of mean the same thing. And so 
they're not really even able to kind of tally it right and kind of categorize it right. So, for instance, uh, magistrate judge appears in there in many different ways. It appears as MAG judge, MAG judge. It appears as magistrate court judge, magistrate judge, and magistrate judge fed. And for for folks who don't work with data all the time, you know, that's really problematic because that means that if you're searching through this data set for threats against a magistrate judge, you may have to, you know, input several different like ways of spelling magistrate judge or, or phrasing it to find all the threats. Yeah, think of it this way: it's it's the difference between when you go to fill out a form online, of writing, of having to type out a column, or like checking a box. Yeah, and a lot of these things that would have would have made this a little bit easier to track threats would where you would have like a box to check and everything would be uniform. That just doesn't happen. So so trying to suss out what's actually in there gets to be really complicated. And this is at the heart of your story, in my opinion, uh, was, you know, how the Marshall Service really isn't able to track these threats and therefore isn't able to prevent, you know, attacks on judges as effectively as they should be. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I learned in my reporting that the Marshall Service can't fully assess that the security risks that federal judges face because its system for tracking threats doesn't allow the marshals to cross-reference behavioral information and really spot suspicious activity that could connect cases. I mean, former marshals told me that the system was actually built to keep tabs on prisoners and fugitive investigations. It wasn't actually designed to do the work that they're using it for now. And so, you know, that's really scary because I had one former marshal, I say, put it to me this way. He said, you know, if a little red Corvette is seen circling a federal courthouse in Omaha, Nebraska on Wednesday, and then there's a little red Corvette spotted circling a federal courthouse in Little Rock, Arkansas on Friday, you know, intelligence analysts need to be able to you pull that out quickly and connect those cases because it's likely the same person. And that's not something that they can do right now. So that's pretty alarming. Well, one thing I would add is the story does not paint the marshals in the best light, but it's important to remember that this does not all fall on their their hands. They have made the request for the money from Congress to to improve this system, and Congress hasn't given them the money to do so. And that's that. You know, it's always important to take it back to the elected officials that are that are ultimately responsible for the purse strings. Right, and that's why I think it's important to note that it's you know the problems are real. You identified them. You spoke with former Marshall staffers who have really outlined the problems, but. The cause of the problems and who's to blame is not at all clear. Uh, you know, I could see some people blaming the Marshal Service for not being more on top of this. But as you just mentioned, Gary, you know, it, it, the purse strings are controlled by Congress. Um, it doesn't seem like it would take that much money, though, to upgrade uh, this system in the grand scheme of things. Well, the, what I learned in my reporting is that the Marshal Service has been trying to transfer all of its divisions over to a new system called Capture. Um, and actually, there was a budget request back in 2018 where they said, you know, we really need to retire our old system here and we need to update, you know, bring everybody, every division, not just, you know, judicial security, but, you know, the prisoner population that they control and also the fugitive investigative stuff, bring everything over to Capture. And they said that that would take four years and approximately a $107 million to complete. $107 million? $107 million. I think, you know, the Pentagon spends that in maybe a fraction of a second. Like, you know, it's it's on the grand scheme of things, that's really not that much. 
Yeah. So, you know, especially for the Judicial Security Division, you know, what we're talking about now using capture this new system, you know, to track threats, like Marshall said, that it would allow them to input the data in a uniform way with drop downs so that we wouldn't get this messy data set that, um, you know, we were just talking about before. And then it would let them quickly pull out specific information uh, to be able to get a better sense of kind of the type of people that are threatening judges, um, kind of, you know, to highlight like maybe some ways that they can prevent this sort of thing from happening in the future. Um, You know, one former marshal I spoke with said that the Secret Service actually knows more about a potential school shooter than the U.S. Marshal Service knows about the type of people who threaten judges. And that's a big problem. Yeah. So what does Congress have to say about this? I mean, have you heard from any folks over on Capitol Hill or any lawmakers about why they haven't allocated this, frankly, not very large sum of money to help the marshal service upgrade their their IT system or is it you know just something that they is not on their radar even I'm not sure this is on their radar. This is not something that anybody in Congress seems to be talking about. Is this this um, system or this old system that needs to be upgraded? I did reach out to the Senate Appropriations Committee uh, to see what that office had to say about it um, and didn't get any response, although they were really helpful in sharing some of the budgetary information about uh, for the Marshal Service in terms of their past budget requests and what they've been requesting this year. Um, but so far, it doesn't seem like maybe this was an issue that was on anyone's radar. Another another thing to kind of put in perspective why this may not be on anybody's radar is the fact that this is one government agency with a specific system that deals a little bit with life and death here, right? We're talking about yeah. very dangerous threats to, to judges. But the problem of old data systems hanging around and being out of date and antiquated is not, that's not the marshals alone. That's that's. I don't know if it's the majority of the government, but it's certainly a lot of the government. There's a lot of, of systems like that out there. And, you know, doing investigative stories, you you run into that all the time where there's something that should have been gone 30 years ago that's still still kind of running the show. Yeah. I, I also wanted to note that, you know, former marshals were telling me that attempting a multi-year project of this magnitude um, within the framework of the traditional federal budget cycle is actually very difficult to execute. Like they couldn't ask for all the money up at once. Like you can only use what they give you for that year and for that thing. So, you know, this is a project that was going to take a long time. You know, there's different you know competing priorities every year. So that was a challenge. You know, I do want to make note that everyone that I spoke with for this story, judges and former marshals say that like even with the best analytical tools possible, that tracking threats against judges and protecting them is just an incredibly difficult job. All right. Uh, Finally, let's talk about the short term, because even if Congress opens its wallet uh, and gives the money, it's still going to take several years to upgrade the system. Uh, at least, you know, what can we do in the meantime to protect judges and help judges protect themselves? Yeah, so I actually spoke with one former marshal who trains judges on this very thing, you know, security. And, and he said that judges need to be an active participant in their own survival. You know, don't wait for the man with the badge and the gun to come running to your aid. That you need, you really need to get a home security system if you're a judge. Um, you need to be really mindful of your social media posts. You know, he says that judges should really try to protect as much of their personal information on their own as possible. Possible, um, and that they really need to pay attention to their surroundings and trust that, you know, that gut feeling, trust their intuition here. You know, if they see something on the street that looks suspicious or if something that's like rubbing them the wrong way, like ju- you need to highlight it and say something. 
That's kind of grim, though, that like the the advice in the meantime, until we fix this problem is judges need to be like constantly paranoid and like sort of living in this like bunker mentality. Like, is that really what we're, we've come to where it's just we're telling judges like, hey, you know, be afraid of everything at all times? I don't think it's be afraid of everything at all times, but just be aware of what's happening. And that in that the threats that you're getting, I found from former marshals were telling me that they're not always reported. Like some judges get them and they're like, oh, that's not real. You know, because a lot of the threats from what we found in this in looking at these cases of people who have been prosecuted for threatening judges. You know, we we saw that a lot of these people have mental illness issues. I think it's easy sometimes for them to get a threat and be like, oh, that's not really like a valid thing. But you don't know unless it's investigated you know, what's going to be credible and what's not. And so, yeah, former marshals say, like, you need to be reporting things, you know. But the judiciary does have a program where federal or judges can get a home security system, you know, paid for by the government, and that more judges need to be taking advantage of that. There also was a a recent legislation passed in uh, 2022, the Daniel Anderl Judicial Security and Privacy Act. You know, this was the law that was born out of uh, this terrible tragedy against Judge Esther Salas, a federal judge in New Jersey. This morning, the FBI is searching for the gunman who opened fire on a federal judge's family at their home in New Jersey. Investigators say someone dressed as a FedEx driver arrived at Judge Esther Salas's home last night. And so she, she, you know, lobbied Congress to get this bill passed um, to make judges' personal identifiable information harder to find online. And I chatted with the administrative office of the U.S. courts, and they told me that so far since that law has passed, that three million individual pieces of judges' information has been removed from the Internet. Um, So it's, you know, there's some progress being made there, but also you're never going to wipe everything off the Internet, especially with the dark web. All right. Well, that was Lydia Wheeler and Gary Harkai talking about uh, judicial security and judicial threats. Thank you guys uh, so much for this great reporting and for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us, David. Thank you. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter. And our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Kimberly Robinson. I'm Greg Storr. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the yachts, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 